i think it's been a it's a great been a great learning experience of kind of checking our individual egos at the door and doing what it takes to make the company succeed and putting the company and the team first before ourselves and keeping the ego out of the room uh, which is i think an element that can often destabilize a lot of successful uh, companies partnerships and leaders as well Gaurav Sashank, very honored and excited to be talking to you. You know, we all look up to Capital Float uh, for uh, financing, for lending. Capital Float was the, one of the first uh, startups which actually got a national attention, and and it's one of the worst times, you know, for capital financing, for lending. How are you both looking at the space right now? First of all, Shraddha, thanks a lot for having us here. I think it's uh, I, we, you've been very kind in your introduction. I think likewise, we've looked up to you and your story for the amazing work you guys have done for a long time. I think we may have mentioned to you a few years back that as we, when we first started our entrepreneurial journey and we looked at what to start, we realized there were enough people running businesses. So we thought, why don't we help actually support those people succeed? So that's how we began. Um, you know, honestly, I think um, what makes COVID interesting for us is it's not our first crisis uh, as you would recall a couple of years back uh, i think as we were kind of on a really steep growth trajectory uh, we ran straight into the ilfs uh, nbfc crisis of 2018 and that read, led to a as fairly i would say gut wrenching period of learning transformation iteration uh, we wrote about it in some detail as you may recall and i think in many ways that that crisis and how we responded to it um, kind of really shaped how we've been dealing with COVID so far, both the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? And I think overall, we found ourselves perhaps a little better prepared uh, when COVID hit, both to respond to some of the challenges that have come up, but also try and find opportunities in the midst of, of, all, the, of all these crises. So I think it's been a, a fairly tumultuous and interesting time. Um, and but and as I said, I think there have been there have been areas that we've been challenged by, uh, where we've had a playbook to respond, and there have been things that have taken us completely by surprise. I'm happy to chat about all of this uh, today. Yeah, I mean, uh, just to kind of reiterate what Shashank said, I think the last nine months before COVID has actually prepared us better, and so from a just from a frame of mind, we are actually uh, in some ways excited for what the future holds because. I would say we are prepared. I, uh, there are some green shoots really starting to open up, and so we are ready for it. And and actually, uh, every entrepreneur obviously has to kind of live through times like this. Otherwise, it's not a fun journey. And uh, and I would say the last few months obviously have been tough, but it only means that the next few months hopefully will be a lot easier. Both of you as entrepreneurs, one can say very uh, authentically, are resilient entrepreneurs. You know, we use the word very lightly, resilient entrepreneurs, but both of you are. How honestly you wrote about your learnings and how well you're thinking through your business. I want you both to please share today what has been the last two, three years? What has been some of the key learnings so that entrepreneurs who are in the trenches can pick up from both of you? Or of you like to take that? Yeah, sure. So I think, you know, uh, the first learning that we've, we've kind of had is uh, when you're on this aggressive growth path that we were about 12 to 18 months ago, I think we, we thought we could be everything for everybody. 
and uh, in our in our kind of quest for growth and diversification i think we honestly ended up taking on too much on our plate whether it was new products new partnerships new geographies um, and i think that led to a bit of a lack of focus and especially in an industry like lending i think uh, a hockey stick growth is 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 always comes back to bite you at some point of time or the other right uh, and so being a little slower being a little bit more focused uh, i think in terms of what you take on to your plate all of us as startup entrepreneurs like to conquer the world and like to kind of build the largest businesses within a span of 5 to 7 years and many of our of of great entrepreneurs in this country have done it but i think the realization of which industry we are in um, uh, respecting what a lot of our a lot of the traditional nbfcs and banks and their journeys have gone through actually put the biggest kind of learning for us which was focus 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 and when the right time to kind of grow i think that growth will automatically come on its own and unlike a lot of typical tech startups where you can get this optimistic growth in a few months i think lending does take a little bit more time and you have to kind of be well prepared for that you had to go and be in the trenches and and figure out the bullets and and then your strategy evolves right no absolutely i i think you're right right and I, and when we look back at the last few years i think there was a phase of really wide experimentation right we tried a lot of stuff um and then there was a period of kind of trying to bring it all together right and i think that's never a smooth transition there's always a little bit of pain because you're kind of everything you do is kind of becomes like like your baby right and so to actually kind of refocus figure out what matters what doesn't matter what's core what's not core and be quite ruthless about about kind of divesting from things that don't matter is tough and i think that was a very character building process for us but i think it's come with a lot of rewards right and i think a lot of that has been around figuring out you know what do we need to be really good at and what's the customer segment we need to focus on and and i'll give you an example of of this right collections something that people don't talk a lot about in fintech right but mm-hmm. if any traditional nbfc banker he'd be like this is this is 50% of the business right um over the last year before covid we spent a lot of time kind of just focusing on on collections right and i think what we realized was this wasn't just another nice to have in the business it needed to be a strategic capability that we actually built in house mm-hmm. wasn't a capability that was about tech, fancy tech and fancy data it was about building a team that could be very close to the customer and understand what customers are going through and work with them to ensure that the portfolio remains healthy and when covid hit right growth kind of went off the agenda completely but it was all about your portfolio and how you protect it um i would say in in april when the country was completely under lockdown i think the first reaction was you know what do we do right how do we actually handle this and our collections efficiencies fell to about 50 55% over april and may but in the moment unlock 1.0 happened a kind of it was actually our teams were able to jump back out into the field get close to the customers start figuring out who was doing well who was not doing well and give the moratorium in sort of a thoughtful way such that we were able to actually able to get back to about an 85 86% collections efficiency in june right and we find ourselves almost to our own surprise having one of the best collections efficiencies i would say among our peers at at this moment in time whereas a year ago this was not something that was even on our radar right and i think it's a good example about how some of these i would say kind of muscles that you need to build to in a business for from year 5 to 30 aren't necessarily things you think about in years 1 to 5 
Yeah. I think we were lucky in that we kind of doubled down on it right before COVID. Uh, but I think we're actually seeing that the next one year is a period for us to actually look at, say, okay, hey, collections was one area, but what are areas two, three, four, and five where we really need to invest for the next 10 years? And let's use this as an opportunity and not whine about it, but use it as a time to actually look inwards and address a lot of these gaps. They were news doing the rounds and, and, and we all heard uh, that, oh, capital float is not doing well and, and, and you know, things are not uh, going as it was envisaged. What did that mean to you? Those negative news, negative press that you got for a short while in between. How did you guys process that? I mean, there was uh, two things, right? One is really how it kind of landed on us personally as founders and two, how it kind of really impacted and affected the business. Uh, I'll start with the latter, right? And so, yes, we did have a challenging year last year, but at the same time, I think a lot that was said uh, was not kind of factually correct. And 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 yes, our numbers uh, were actually better than what was projected, etc. right? So I think negative news sometimes creates uh, unwanted kind of questions and difficulties and makes business more difficult at times than it should be, uh, especially when not all of it is true, right? And to your earlier question, there were a lot of rumors whether Shashank and I have broken up, right? And, <laughs> and so these kind of things really don't, I mean, they don't, uh, they impact the business a bit, but obviously kind of makes it, makes us have tough, interesting conversations with all our stakeholders. Uh, I think how it kind of landed us, uh, landed on us as founders personally, Obviously, you don't like to kind of hear and see these things uh, spoken about yourself in any kind of media. Uh, yes, you've made mistakes. Uh, but at the same time, I think uh, allowing people to kind of reflect on their mistakes and giving them their space to, to screw up in some sense is a very important part of any ecosystem, especially Absolutely. where there is so much pressure on a day-to-day -day basis. It seems glamorous from outside, and it is on many days, but it is, it is very hard also on most days. Right? So, Allowing people the opportunity to make mistakes uh, is also kind of critical. And so, uh, honestly, when we started reading some of this, we went into a bit of a shell. We did not respond to most of the media queries that came to us, which in hindsight was probably a mistake, uh, uh, because we had to kind of refute some of the statements that were not actually correct. But I think what we've learned from there on is, uh, uh, which really led to a learning on our blog and, and kind of, uh, in many ways, kind of encouraged us to kind of put our learnings outside uh, not just for our own kind of self-belief, but for everyone else out there who really cared about us as well. I think that was a very important milestone. And I think our approach to how we kind of tackle some of these difficult times has definitely kind of improved. And of course, there may be kind of in the future over the next few years, there will be kind of, uh, uh, again, more news or media that comes our way. I think we've kind of learned to handle it in a more mature manner and kind of look back at it and say that this is part of the stride and we may need to learn to live with it. And I think the single biggest way, just taking off from what Gaurav said, in which this has, I think, shaped our approach to business now going forward is in how we communicate, right? There's a lot of people kind of talk about a private company having the advantage of not having pressures of calls, et cetera. We actually found ourselves in a strange situation last year where our numbers were better than the rumors and we had no <laughs> put them out there, right? Yeah. Um, and so one of the things I think we have started to do is actually figure out ways in which to create a more transparent uh, narrative of what we are doing and how our numbers are shaping up and share them with the stakeholder ecosystem that matters to us, right? So for example, through this entire COVID period, 
not only have we been having kind of fortnightly monthly calls within our team our board with our top 100 employees but we've also just been sharing numbers very openly with our debt providers our partners etc right so there is i think complete kind of transparency into into how we're doing what are things that are working what are things that are not working and i think that 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 level of kind of openness has been something that has has been appreciated and also i think gives us a, a very good way to hold up a mirror not just to ourselves but tell the rest of the world hey this is how we're doing and this is what's important to us right now uh, and so in many ways i think our endeavor going forward particularly given the regulated space that we're in is to be able to kind of create the right kind of transparency and and candor around our business metrics um in the wider financial community despite being a private company that doesn't have a structured way to do so i was recently speaking to uh, the sbi chairman and 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 uh, uh, and they are one of the largest lenders and and he was saying that now they are using machine learning and analytics to figure out their customers and all that but more importantly he said that he's looking to partner because they are realizing increasingly that you know you need to partner with interesting new companies and startups because you can't do everything alone you know you both have forged different kinds of partnerships some uh, partnerships that we heard about and 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 what's your approach to you know moving forward in terms of working with banks and different kinds of partners yeah so you know that's a i think that's been a pivotal kind of strategy for us over the last few years right and so uh i think the ability for us to be agile uh while obviously being a startup but also kind of making sure that we have the right risk and kind of collection practices in actually helps us to be a partner uh both for lenders like a bank or another large mbfc as well as for origination partners right so for example i think a partnership a three way partnership that has been going quite well for us especially during covid times uh is what we do in terms of our e-commerce financing checkout product mm. because so this is a partnership that we have with amazon uh, and with a few others as well uh, amazon being one of the largest uh, where we actually allow customers to buy goods on amazon in real time uh, through a credit facility and we have seen a massive uptake of the number of customers who are actually applying for this program uh, because of the digital nature of of how we are offering this credit program as well as the fact that people are now obviously given lockdowns and covid etc more comfortable kind of moving their purchases online but the interesting thing is at the back end of this program we also been able to partner with a bank uh, that that uh, traditionally would not uh, obviously kind of have uh, uh, obviously the, the intention to go out and partner with such players like us but they've obviously done a fantastic job in in kind of working with us and being a part of this program and so along with us the bank is also seeing amazing growth in terms of number of customers and how it is actually advancing its technology to be able to adapt to a digital credit program so the combination of a partner like amazon the combination of a bank with capital float in the middle being not just a kind of tech provider but also a credit provider and using that combination skillfully is is kind of i would say what our edge has been over the last few years and yes some partnerships work and some don't but uh, this has been a very successful one for us and especially in covid I think this is a massive growth that we've actually seen, and we've we've added close to I would say three and a half four lakh customers since lockdown, and and it's amongst the highest we've ever done in a single quarter. Where do you see the industry or this sector moving in the next one or two years? What should happen to make it very optimal? That's an interesting question, Shraddha, and it's something actually we've 
I think our, our viewers also evolved in the last few years. Um, I think when we started out and most of fintech started, it was all about technology, right? Mm. Um, and then at some point it became all about risk. Um, and I think that if, if you had to look at a crystal ball looking forward, I think we would say that in the next five to 10 years, it's actually going to be all about the customer, right? Because most customers don't really care if they're taking a loan from a fintech or a bank or an NBFC. It really doesn't matter to them, right? What they care about is the level of access, the kind of experience and the cost they're able to get. And so I think that from as we think about our strategy, it's about being very clear about who our target customer is, who is the type of customer most likely to love us for the next several years. And how do we build the best experience for this customer when it comes to financial services, right? Yeah. In India, loans are sort of the first and most primal need for most people. Uh, but then there's a, an entire ladder that most, most of these customers want to climb, right? Insurance, savings, investing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and for us, I think gaining that trust of that customer through this lending uh, partnership and then using that insight to be able to offer them the best products and services in the market over time, that's really where we're coming out from a strategic perspective. And so I think it, it matters less about what tech stack we use and you know, are we how much is off book or on book or all of that stuff. It's more about are we the best financial partner out there for a customer, right? And that, that means not just giving a loan and taking it back, but actually helping that person navigate what, what the right ecosystem of products are for them, uh, being able to be the right partner for them at different stages in their life, right? So someone may have certain financial needs when they're young, but when they get married and they have kids, they'll have different needs. And so how do we actually grow with this person through their life over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years and beyond? And, and be the best financial partner for them. And I think what, what gives us confidence that, that this is something we can win at is it, it's not a winner-take-all market in India, right? I think the, the kinds of customers in India from a financial services perspective are very different. And each customer is looking to build a long-term relationship. And if you can kind of get in there and actually win that person's trust, uh, you can build a very sustainable revenue set of revenue streams on them for, for their entire life. And so that's really our focus going forward. And I think from a, from an org perspective, again, there's been a lot of talk of, are you a FinTech? Are you a platform? Are you a NBFC? I think, again, we think that doesn't matter. Uh, we would love to build a, a, a highly kind of respected, financial institution with technology at its core that has good standards of governance, that has great employees and even greater alumni. Uh, and that is seen kind of just at par with some of the top banking brands in the country. In your minds right now, that you think that we have to build the best experience for the customer, we have to be the best financial partner. How do you actually implement, how are you thinking or how are you implementing actually on ground every day, especially with this pandemic? Yeah, sure. So I'll give you an example of what we kind of are doing on the SME side right now, uh, which really revolves around the customer experience. So uh, earlier, pre-COVID, there was, we used to do a lot of SME loans and there was a, a manual element to that, right? There would be a salesperson there would be a, an underwriter who would actually visit the customer on most occasions. And, and while it was all technology in the back end from an underwriting perspective, there was still a good amount of kind of 
customer handholding and onboarding that we would kind of have from a human perspective. Uh, as we kind of now have in the process of restarting our SME lending business, uh, we've actually spent the last three months completely redesigning our entire kind of SME lending product where it is 100% fully digitized. And this was a journey we were making even before COVID. It just kind of got accelerated during COVID. And it basically allows an SME to, to be able to you know apply for the loan, uh, submit all the documents. Now video KYC is allowed. The repayment instrument that he is setting is also digital, right? So you have actually reached a point where an SME who wants a five lakh or an eight lakh loan is able to completely apply for it digitally. He gets sanctioned in real time. The disbursal may still take a day or two, but I think for an SME, knowing that he's getting the loan is the most important thing, even if it comes after a day or two. But we are able to kind of sanction this in real time. And with the right kind of credit checks and parameters in the back end, uh, with a person kind of getting involved on a call. And I think we have uh, what has really changed is the delight we are able to kind of give an SME while he or she is applying for this loan completely online. I think that is a, is a, is a key way of how we are kind of looking to change the business and have made some of the changes. And going forward, the idea is to kind of keep inventing on that, right? And how can you make every small process even more digitized? Now, obviously, every lender, every bank, every NBFC is kind of trying to do this and, and focusing on kind of digitizing the entire journey. But actually being able to do it and actually seeing customers kind of apply for it and then treat it in a way that you're actually giving them an experience to take a loan that is similar to buying, let's say, a TV or a fridge online. I think that is a wow experience that hopefully in financial services we are able to kind of create with the right checks and balances. Yeah. You know, I want to ask, sorry, yeah, sorry, Sashank. Yeah. I'll just give you another quick left of field example. Um, so most of our customers use our app called Walnut, right? It's a personal finance app. It allows you to take credit, but also track your expenses, budgets, etc. The first thing we saw when lockdown happened is people's expenses crashed, but they didn't crash completely. So we actually said, look, where are people spending money? And when we looked at the data, we realized that without knowing it, we were sitting on an insight about where people were actually shopping during lockdown, which was basically mm. and pharmacy, right? So we took this data and then actually turned it into a feature on the app called find a store where you could sit, let's say in, in where I'm sitting in my apartment and I could actually understand which are the stores in my area that are actually um, selling to customers. When were they last open and what products were most recently bought? And this has nothing to do with finance, but it was probably one of our most highly used features on Walnut through the period of lockdown. So the idea is not just to be able to serve the customer on one core product, but actually over time to be able to use the capabilities that we've built to serve them in good times and bad across different needs. They have been saying that uh, this is the worst time for a lending business uh, because uh, there is generally there is this fear in the economy in among people and 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 they and we'll see a a huge slowdown in lending. I want to understand from you what do you think? See, I think there is no doubt that it is a challenging time for any lender, right? Whether you're a digital lender, NBFC bank, or anyone, or for that matter, any company in the country today, right? Yeah. Uh, so it is definitely going to be a challenging few months. It is going to be hard. But at the same time, I think uh, there are kind of opportunities and green shoots that are starting to emerge. It will take a few months. Like we said, these small ticket kind of consumer credit loans that we give for, for kind of online purchases. Uh, we are starting to see uh, in tier two towns, 
some of the SMEs they are starting to kind of bounce back up, and so we started to see better collection numbers there, and actually starting to doing new lending and new loans over there. Uh, that said, obviously we have to kind of be cautious for the next few months. We need to figure out where we feel the bottom of this whole cycle is, and typically. We've seen that if you really start to build an interesting loan book at the bottom of the cycle, you can have a good run for a few years after that. Now, obviously, finding the bottom of of the cycle is a is a challenge in itself, and and I think over the next few months we'll all kind of uh, yeah. figure that out uh, through some aches and pains. Uh, but uh, I think this will also be an opportunity for for folks who are extremely serious about lending and kind of digital lending for that matter. to be able to take some market share over the next few years if you had to tell the story about the the space that you are in to people across the world right like the opportunity here in india especially in the space and it's a chance because you know you say that there's no winner takes it all market in this space i want to understand how big is the opportunity and what both of you are seeing what opportunity are you seeing ahead honestly i think we think this is one of the most exciting largest opportunities in the world and and i'll tell you why right hmm. we talk a lot about a 5 trillion dollar economy and and despite i think what has happened with covid i don't think that aspiration has changed uh, and no economy in the, i think the history of the world has grown at that rate without a concurrent expansion in credit to its most average citizens right we saw hmm. us we saw this in europe we've seen it in china over the last 10 years so if india is to grow at 8 to 9% let's say over the next 10 years retail credit has to grow at at least double that um and it has to actually grow among the next 200 million new customers in india who are currently not part of this story and when we started capital flow people estimated that this gap was anywhere from half a billion to a trillion dollars but it had been that way for decades and i think the single biggest thing that has changed in the last 6 to 7 years is technology right and the rate at which these this these 200 million people are coming online but more importantly transacting online and creating digital data sources and i think the way that they are going to actually be part of that 8% 9% growth story and be a big part of the 5 trillion dollar economy is by significantly expanding their access to credit i don't think anything that has happened in the last few months or in the last 2 years in india has changed our conviction around that i think the only thing that has is that it's a long term game right you hear a lot of stories in startups about people kind of wanting to build companies and sell them in 5 years 6 years i'm sure <laughs> when we move back to india we had all sorts of starry notions about how quickly we'd be building a multi billion dollar business uh, i think the last few years have been quite humbling uh, but they've also taught us that if we actually have patient and are able to ride the ups and downs and and kind of stick to our core there's a massive prize awaiting at the end of this rainbow right but it's a it's a long journey right it's 10 years maybe even more and and i think as we've kind of settled into that realization it's actually started to feel a lot more exciting um because taking a longer term view i think is just allowing us to in some ways take the pressure off on optical metrics fundraising and a bunch <laughs> of things yeah. and actually just focus on like what's the kind of business that we want to build right and what does having a world class lending business look like and actually build towards that so I think that's how we're feeling about about this whole opportunity right. 
if you had to go back when you were planning planning and you know in your drawing boards that we are starting this if you had to go back with all the insights that you've learned right now and say okay these are one or two things that you know we will consider in our journey and in our startup what would those two things be which you didn't know at that time uh, uh i think one thing for sure is is like we just kind of discussed is really the 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 scope and kind of the diversification of the opportunity that is at hand and how and when do you actually kind of tackle that right uh i think as you come, as at least when we came back to india you were completely kind of starry eyed and said we are going to kind of crush this and you've done i would say okay over the last 5 6 years but i think having the realization that it's not going to be only a journey that is kind of has ups there's going to be massive downs uh, dealing with that i think has been has been an important kind of learning for us right and the way we try to learn that is by relying on each other by relying on our teams by relying on kind of our investors right i think we had not accounted for the emotional turn the turmoil that doing a startup kind of has and i think yeah. uh, had we been better prepared for that uh, and and a lot of the advice we got over the last 18 months obviously helped us i think had we got some of that up front i think it would have made the journey a little bit more kind of palatable uh, and it it all seems very glamorous sometimes from the outside and i do know this as much better than anyone else is is the the toll that it takes as founders yeah. uh, keep the show going in many ways i think being able to kind of deal with that in a more better mature manner is something i wish we had kind of at least not learned but at least planned for i would say a few years ago you know its capital float was a stock which we had to buy all of us listening to both of you had to buy the stock what are some of the things that you're going to tell about capital float and the future potential of it pitch it to us i'll, I'll give it a shot and try and be as succinct as possible i would say kind of digital finance is going to be the biggest opportunity in the next 10 years do you want to back the guys who made all the mistakes and know what not to do in the future or back someone new how do both of you because you deal with so many customers so many people smes how do you look at empathy in business what's your perspective on empathy and the role of empathy in business especially now yeah i think this has been it's a very kind of from a timing perspective like you rightly said a very important kind of aspect in a question that we got kind of to think to right and so if i take the example of the whole moratorium uh, i think realizing from a customer point of view what they are going through is much harder than what we are going through if you are an sme or a consumer uh, i think the way we hopefully try to deal with the moratorium situation is is it's kind of reflective of how we think about our customers as an organization and so in our moratorium 1.0 right we essentially gave everybody a moratorium who asked for it uh, while some of our lenders some did give and some obviously could and could not give but irrespective of what the decision on our money supply was uh, we said that it is the right thing to do for these customers and so everyone who asked for it got and that was roughly about 50 55% of our uh, uh, customer base or our loan book Um, as we kind of went into moratorium 2.0 obviously we started to see things bounce back uh, to to a fair degree uh, and even there we said okay if someone is genuinely kind of struggling uh, let's ensure we kind of reach out and give the moratorium uh, and obviously kind of play the fine line between understanding what the customer struggle is but also at the same time kind of 
realizing what you as a company need to do and you also are answerable to your stakeholders whether they are lenders or your equity providers or anybody for that matter and so i think taking a nuanced approach in phase 1 where we were more kind of uh, uh, generous and giving everybody the moratorium to then kind of realizing okay folks are starting to kind of bounce back still kind of making sure you're looking out for the customer but also kind of making sure you're looking out for your stakeholders employees lenders etc i think finding that balance has been a, has been a lesson in, in kind of empathy i wouldn't say if you will uh, during these tough times well, i think gorav's example captures it very well right I, I, the thing about our business is we are very intertwined with the lives of our customers right and so the most fulfilling moments are when you've been able to provide a customer a, a loan or a or a line of credit and you've actually been able to see those customers grow um and the more a customer grows the more you are able to be part of that journey so in many ways it's a it's it's a virtuous cycle and i think what's always ex- excited us is getting out of bangalore and getting on the ground right which obviously we've not been able to do in the last 3 months because particularly over the last year i think we've seen more than 50% of applications coming in from small towns right uh coimbatore ludhiana um erode salem etc um and one of the things we actually were doing right before covid was a road show where we would go to each of these new cities and actually kick off our product offerings there and meet customers and actually today even if you look at repayment rates during covid the highest repayment rates are as as many of these cities right jodhpur um erunachalam etc so i think um, i think what we're doing is very much intertwined with the next wave of india's growth and it's it's coming from the the little guy in the small cities and i think that's hugely inspiring and keep, honestly gives us a lot of motivation to keep going personally what does money mean to you it means to an end right it's it's not the end in itself i think it kind of helps you whether you look at it the money that the company needs or whether the money that you kind of need for your personal self how do you kind of ensure that that is just something that's in some ways an important check the box to make sure you are able to kind of make sure you are able to hit the both personal as well as official milestones but but beyond that it's it's not like it's not something that kind of really at least as for myself uh, is not something that obviously really kind of uh, uh, It's something that we focus on, uh, and like I said, it's important. It has to check the box. You need to live a comfortable life, uh, but but there is much more to it than than kind of just the money. But that's my yeah. Yeah, I would agree with Gaurav. I think whether from our perspective or from our customers' perspective, money is an is just an instrument uh, to pursue your passions and and make your life better. Um, I think, and also I think in a in a in a capitalistic society, it's it's a way for people to interact with each other and have productive relationships based on trust this journey with each other you've been friends now you are co-founders you've seen ups and downs you've seen all the colors together tell us what does it mean to stay together because in the last 12 years of my tracking the startups and 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 and, and you know entrepreneurs frictions come in issues come between founders uh, but both of you have had equal footing both of you have taken steps together like you know walk together as equals and stayed together uh, tell me give, give us an inside peek into your relationship you know we we often kind of joke about this but uh, this is a marriage right and it takes all the qualities of a successful marriage to kind of keep the partnership going right 
So one is I would say first starting with respect, right? A respecting each other's kind of area of expertise, uh, respecting kind of where one person is good at, where the other person is not good at, uh, and kind of having those boundaries well set, and so you don't kind of step over those boundaries. The second thing I would say is is, is trust and uh, blind faith and trust, and nothing else will kind of work. And even if, if a person makes a mistake, knowing that it was kind of never intentional and, and kind of forgiving and forgetting at some point and kind of moving on. And I think third is, is for lack of a better word, right? I would call it kind of love and friendship, right? I mean, <laughs> you're not friends at the end of the day. You can't kind of be co-founders and business partners. So we, we kind of, our kids hang out, our families hang out, obviously all before COVID. But, uh, but we kind of, we, we interact at a friend level. And I think, that's more important than anything else because days are hard, especially now. And I think being able to kind of rely on each other when one of us is having a bad day becomes super critical. And that kind of what gives you this hopefully this long lasting success and partnership. I think people spend a lot of time dissecting failed partnerships, particularly equal partnerships, but not a lot of time is spent looking at partnerships that work. <laughs> And uh, I think the, the best thing about an equal partnership that works is at some point you kind of get into a state of flow, right? You are able yeah. to complete each other's sentences. You have impl implicit trust. I know that tomorrow if I get hit by a bus, God forbid, everything just kind of runs on uh, with Gaurav at the helm uh, and hopefully vice versa. So I think, and, and it creates, I think, a lot of stability in the company as well for the organization to know that there are two folks on the top who can sub in for each other and uh, effectively are kind of, of, one, of aligned and of one mind at, at most points in time. And I think that creates a lot of depth actually from an organizational perspective. And if I have to look at the single key thing that I think is, is required to make something like this work, it's, it's keeping your ego in check. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, in an equal partnership, there's no room for I, for me, I did this, I didn't do this. And much, much as I'm saying it, right, it's, it's always a, something, it's always a challenge. Right? We're both kind of strong personalities have our views. I think it's been a, it's a great, been a great learning experience of kind of checking our individual egos at the door and doing what it takes to make the company succeed and putting the company and the team first before ourselves and, and kind of sharing that responsibility with someone actually helps in many ways keeping keeping the ego out of the room, uh, which is, I think, an element that can often destabilize a lot of successful uh, companies, partnerships, and leaders as well. 